Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the wizarding world, our first episode of 2020. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. Uh, Micah. I'm Maura. And we are joined by one of our friends, somebody who's been in the fandom for a really long time, who has his own Harry Potter fan site, Andy McRae. Hi, Andy. Hi, Andrew. Hi, folks. Thanks for having me on. You are down in Australia. We've known you for such a long time. We were just talking before the show. We first met in 2005 in person, but that was also the last time. <laughs> so That is. It was, a, it was a fly in, fly out visit. Yeah. And then a couple weeks ago on an episode, Eric's reading the Quizage answers and he was like, oh, and Andy from Harry Potter Fan Zone. And we're like, oh, cool. Andy's listening to the show still. That's awesome. And then Michael was <laughs> well, I've been like, listening the whole time. Oh, good. I love hearing you that's, guys. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think we knew that. And then we like just, I don't know, it slipped our minds. But anyway, you're here <laughs> now. It's great to have you on. You have... It's a pleasure to be here. When did you launch Harry Potter Fan Zone? So Harry Potter Fan Zone launched in December of 2003. Um, and it was kind of just like a school side project. And mm-hmm. then I just got so like in love with the Harry Potter fandom and the whole website community. And I've been doing it ever since. Yeah, very cool. And one of the shining moments in your site's history, I'm sure, is when JK Rowling gave you her fan site award. Uh, it was totally surreal. I remember waking up and there was an email and it said, check your inbox in a couple of hours. You're going to get a really nice surprise. And then I read that I'd got the fan side award and then I had to go off to school and sit an exam. So I, I could not <laughs> concentrate all day. <laughs> yeah. It was like, do you people know what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I, J.K. Rowling recognized my website back in the day on J.K. Rowling's awesome original website. Every, I don't know, what was it? Month? Two months or so? She would give out a fan site award for a time. What did what did that entail? Like, did she send you something like physical? Was it like a key or like did she give you anything? Oh, I wish. So no, it was a little graphic, and then it was like some lovely words that she said. She'd said that the site was really insightful, which is something I wish I could get tattooed on my forehead. But, <laughs> um, I still have the graphic to this day, and it's it's still pride of place on the masthead. That is so cool. She was like, "This is the Australian Harry Potter fan site, right?" She did, and. One of the things she said, the message was, I'm sorry it's taken me so long to award you this. I had to finish book seven first. And I was like, well, <laughs> well, please, it's no problem at all. That's so cool. <laughs> please finish right. the book. Don't let me hold Priorities. you. <laughs> yeah. Was, um, was your website traffic just insane after she did that? Do you remember? It was. And I think the server crashed the next day. And I'm sort of like, oh, what am I doing here? This is, this is ridiculous. But That's a good problem I, to I, have. I wouldn't have passed it up for the world. It was incredible. I remember those days <laughs> of servers crashing. Yeah. Yep. It's because M- MuggleNet would link something and it'd be like, oh, check out the rest of the gallery in Harry Potter fan zone. And I'd be like, oh, uh, <laughs> thanks, but no thanks for all that traffic. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, it's great to have you on. And um, on today's episode, we are going to discuss chapter 12 of Order of the Phoenix, Professor Umbridge. So our Umbridge suck count is going to skyrocket this week, I think. Did anybody get any fun gifts over the holidays? I'm curious because we did our holiday gift guide. Yeah. I got so much Harry Potter stuff for Christmas and my birthday this year, y'all. Like, I got the first three illustrated editions, which I did not have. Oh, yay. Awesome. I got a 12-pack of Harry Potter-themed socks. (laughs) This is, like, kind of a sidebar because... I kind of ran out of socks 
this year and my boyfriend went to both of our families and was like she needs socks so like his <laughs> his mom got me socks and my mom got me socks um so i have a lot of socks now half of them are like harry potter socks um i also got the lego night bus Ooh. so i'm gonna be Ooh, so did i laura yeah i'm gonna be building that and adding that to my collection yeah um i got oh my gosh what else did i get laura you just just quickly, you do know we're sponsored by Bombas, right? We could have maybe worked something out for you. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's just like the beginning of it. it. Pretty much everything was Harry Potter themed and I was okay with it. That's awesome. Yeah. Felt felt kind of awkward after the latest JK Rowling drama, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got to say what my big thing um I we did our Mogocast Secret Santa gift exchange over on the uh Mogocast patrons Facebook group and I got a really cool piece of art. I've dropped it in the show document uh from Hannah Howard, my Secret Santa, and she draws people as famous witches and wizards cards. Ooh. So I um am really really happy with it and she sent a new Gryffindor tie and a new puzzle from New York Puzzle Company. It's really good when we mention the gifts that we ourselves would love on this show <laughs> right. because it really it pays easier. untold dividends. Yeah. Um, for us. So, I'm really happy with my Harry Potter haul. Which puzzle was it, Eric? It was the uh Diagon Alley Hagrid taking Harry through Diagon Alley 500 piece puzzle. Oh, oh that I- one's cool. I completed that one as well over the uh, holidays. Oh, really? Wow. I did God. three puzzles, so clearly I had a lot oh my of time God. on my hands. <laughs> you were hooked. Yeah. It's I basically funded the New York Puzzle Company over the last month. And so have our listeners. There's been so much puzzle love. It's unbelievable. Like, I think we're single-handedly bringing puzzles back. <laughs> it's a new show tagline for 2020. Micah, on your recommendation, I got the... Uh, the Mary Grand Prix Harry Potter socks that all seven books. Oh, nice. Um, and they are wonderful. I recommended on our holiday gift guide episode the Harry Potter spirit jerseys from Box Lunch. And I did ask Santa for that. And I received my Slytherin one. And I'm really happy with it. It looks great. It fits great. And on the inside of the collar, it has the Slytherin traits, which I thought was a really nice touch. That's neat. Yeah. So cunning and whatever the other ones are, sexy podcast superstar hmm. all those things <laughs> fits me perfectly are those really slytherin traits or just things you'd like to aspire to aspire to i don't know what you're talking about he's already there micah <laughs> i also participated in the secret santa with our patrons and thanks to nicole i received two beer mugs that have the muggle cast logo um, on them. Perfect. Like, so, and Eric, I know you you provided a helping hand here, but uh, these are really cool. I think I, I posted them up at least on, on my social media, but we can post them on the MuggleCast Twitter or Instagram. Uh, these are really cool. The, 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 a lot of thought went into those and I can tell you that they've been used. Not, <laughs> I'm going to tell you how many times they've been used so far, <laughs> but they've definitely been used uh, and uh, a really great and thoughtful gift. Um, she also sent through a deck of Harry Potter playing cards. So I have to put those to good use as well. Uh, just shout out real quick to Brittany for once again running the Secret Santa. It's a thankless job. Over 100 people participated this year. It was really cool. Very nice. A yeah. uh, little announcement before we get to chapter by chapter. With the new year, we are going to be moving MuggleCast's releases to Tuesdays. The reason for this is so we have a little more time to get our ducks in a row and get the episode out to you reliably first thing 
Tuesday morning. So you'll know when you wake up, at least in America, uh, <laughs> there will be a new episode of MuggleCast waiting for you for your commute or whatever else you've got going on that day. So um, after this episode, I believe, we'll probably release this one on Monday because everybody is eager for it after being away. I was being away for a couple weeks. But henceforth, MuggleCast will be released on Tuesdays. It's a little sad because we can no longer say MuggleCast Mondays. There's nice alliteration there, but uh, we just need a little more time. It can be Trelawney Tuesday. <laughs> Are we calling ourselves <laughs> Trelawney now? Trelawney Cast? Uh, Trelawney Cast. Sure. Also a name change. <laughs> new year, new us. <laughs> MuggleCast Tuesday. I mean, obviously, MuggleCast ends with a T and Tuesday starts oh, with a T. Oh, MuggleCast so. Tuesday. Yeah, it's all one word now. Oh, yeah. Perfect. I love it. Crisis averted. Wonderful. Well, speaking of New Year, New You, today's mm. sponsor is definitely a good way to get your New Year started. Their third love and their bras are designed to fit you, not the other way around. They're designed with the measurements from millions of women. Their bra styles are made to fit your life and are so comfortable. They have over 80 bra sizes, but know that the only one that matters is yours. Take their Fit Finder quiz. All you have to do is answer a few simple questions to find your perfect fit in 60 seconds. Over 15 million women have taken this quiz to date, and it's actually fun to complete. It's also really important because breast shape matters when finding a good fit, and the quiz helps you identify that. Third Love donates all of their gently used return bras to women in need, supporting charities in their local San Francisco Bay Area and across the United States for those of you who are interested in giving back to the community. So far, Third Love has donated over $15 million in bras. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash mugglecast now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash mugglecast for 15% off the most comfortable bra you'll ever wear today. Sounds good. Micah, I was just thinking maybe we should do like Micah Mondays where you like dance on social media or something. What do you think of that? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> well, you had so much fun with the takeover <laughs> well, that for the giveaway. Just yeah, it'd right. be a natural fit. More of that to entertain the people. While oh, I, I, the I'll do episode. another giveaway if that's what you want. I, I oh, guess I'm Monday, so fortunate. No. Not with how you spend. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Tripling the expectations. Oh, come on. We made people's holidays. I know. I'm completely kidding. We're still getting thank yous from people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it's time now for Chapter by Chapter. This week, we are discussing Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 12, Professor Umbridge. And we will start with our seven-word summary. And Andy, you can kick it off. Okay. Classes. Begin. For. The. Ooh, I feel like I have total control over the direction of this it's right now. And I don't, I, I don't like it. Um, classes begin for the term <laughs> good luck guys <laughs> despite oh gosh okay come on eric you got this attitudes <laughs> despite attitudes i was thinking despite terror <laughs> i was thinking despite suckage mm. <laughs> yeah because definitely the classes don't go well do they but uh i think harry's attitude should be front and center hence putting it in so yeah, he he does have one mm -hmm. this chapter for sure. Yeah. 
this book, really, but... Well, you know. hopefully our discussion is going to be better than our seven-word summary. <laughs> and Andy was never invited. Uh, <laughs> it's not your fault. No, Andy, Actually, you did a good words, job. No. Yeah, if we rate your words, your words are high on the list, buddy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Andrew, let's just go right to Umbridge. Yeah, is that's... That what you, yeah. Uh, I mean... The, that's pretty much what we want to do. Yeah, this is a big chapter. There is a lot happening here. There really is. And, um, you know, Harry's troubles continue right at the start of this chapter. He wakes up in the morning and, and it's really kind of a bad day for him throughout. And he interacts with Seamus and or actually he doesn't because Seamus decides to leave early. Dean tries to like help out a little bit, but's at a loss for words. And then he finds out from Hermione that Lavender Brown isn't buying Harry's story either. So talk about waking up for your first day of classes in your fifth year at Hogwarts, people who you thought were your friends they're not buying what you're selling. Mm-hmm. Who asked Lavender anyway? <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny. Like La- Lavender pre Half Blood Prince is way different than Lavender that we know in Half Blood. Like when she's you know seeking Ron and with Ron and all that. Like she definitely has her own personality. I'd forgotten that there seems to be some kind of struggle with the whole believing Harry thing this year on her part. It's okay though because. J.K. Rowling feeds her to Greyback later on. <laughs> wow. You don't believe Harry? Take this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, during this discussion when Hermione is talking about how Lavender doesn't believe Harry, one of the things that comes up again, and I think it's kind of one of those prevalent themes throughout the course of this book, is house unity. Uh, because Harry talks about how, you know, if you're talking about making friends with the Slytherins, that's never going to happen. And just want to talk a little bit about that because Hermione does a couple things in this chapter and and McGonagall kind of gives her kudos at the end uh, that I think are really important. Uh, And and one of those things is bringing up house unity. Yeah, it's something that sounds like a really good idea, but for as long as this point system is going to be in place at Hogwarts, it's never going to happen. So you think as long as the houses are pitted against each other, there's no real way for them to come together? Yeah, exactly. Because they're always going to get petty over house points. They're always going to be competing to get those house points. They're going to be mad when one house gets more points than the other at some point during the week. And then what happens with Quidditch? It's just a friendly a friendly fly along. Everybody flies. It's like doing laps around the pitch. <laughs> yeah. It's just every day is training. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I think sort of on its face, if we're talking about house points, it might sound like maybe not the top issue. But when you think about it, it really does permeate the whole culture of the school. I mean, they'll have double lessons with another house and watch people be awarded house points for getting an answer correct. Yeah. Which seems so foreign to me. Yeah. Like we didn't we didn't get anything like that when I was in school. We weren't rewarded for doing our reading and, and having the right answer. The reward is the knowledge that you gain <laughs> from paying attention. Knowledge is right. the currency of school. Right. And, right. And there's seemingly no guidelines for how points are or for when points are awarded or taken away. Mm-hmm. That's really frustrating because you never know when they're going to be coming or going. Yeah, it's yeah. purely at the discretion of the professor or the prefect or the head boy or the head girl. Right. And who's to say that they have the right judgment in, in many cases, but yeah. Oh no, they yeah. do not. I, I would agree. The, the infrastructure is just not there. 
to really promote, to really go out, you know, to really allows a lot of unity to happen. Mm-hmm. One other thing that comes up in conversation is that Harry notices Professor Grubbly Plank is up at the table again, and he's wondering how long Hagrid is going to be away. And Hermione mentions that perhaps Dumbledore doesn't want to draw attention to his absence. So instead of saying, hey, Hagrid's going to be back on the 12th of March, uh, he's kind of allowing him to keep a low profile, which I think is important. And it's another good observation by Hermione. Yeah. Yeah, really. I've always felt like the theme of these books is if everybody would just listen to Hermione, things would go a lot more smoothly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Harry Potter and listen to Hermione, the new book from JK Rowling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She, she has the right take on things. She's definitely the one between where Harry's headspace is at in this chapter and where Ron's headspace is at in this chapter. She's just the level head who really provides viable sort of takes on what's going on and with Umbridge in the previous chapter as well. Right. And what what is the advantage of not bringing attention to Hagrid's absence? I presumed it was so the Ministry didn't perhaps cotton on that Hagrid was on secret Dumbledore business. Mm-hmm. Mm. Agreed. And maybe we don't want Umbridge thinking about Hagrid and potentially banning him from the school later on. Right. Because he's one of those, as she would call it, nasty half-breeds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, we did get a bit of comedy in this chapter because Fred and George are in it. And uh, one thing that came up earlier on is when they're leaving the common room, they notice that Fred and George are looking for some test subjects (laughs) uh, for some of their products. And uh, that doesn't sit too well with Hermione. And uh, we get this whole confrontation that comes up. And I I can understand where Ron is coming from as a as a brother, not wanting to confront two of his older siblings about what they're doing. And it made me think, why couldn't the head boy or head girl, I'm presuming that there is one in Gryffindor at this time, confront them? Why does it have to be Ron and Hermione? Right. If, if they really feel that uncomfortable. Well, of course, of course, from a story perspective, it's just better to see Ron confront mm. his brothers. Mm-hmm. Of course. And, and it's entertaining. Because <clears throat> we want to see Ron stand up to his brothers, but he can't. I I really wish he could have here. <laughs> it seems it doesn't seem like that big of an ask. Like, what is he afraid of? His brothers bullying him, taunting him. Probably. This is his role now. Take it into your hands and own it. I I completely agree, and it's very clearly wrong. Like Hermione, there's no there's really no nuance to that. That Fred and George advertising for test subjects is wrong especially when they say later in this chapter when confronted that they'll give ron a discount on the nosebleed nougat uh-huh. and then they reveal that there's not currently a cure for it and that you shrivel up and die from blood loss so it feels to me like it's a completely solid platform if you're gonna confront your brother or any of your siblings make sure that you have the high ground and in this case ron would mm-hmm. yeah, it's not exactly a gray area in the rules is it yeah, no, you you can't do this. This is pretty clearly bad experimenting. Fundamentally wrong. Yeah, yeah. But it also gives us insight that they believe that their futures lie outside the world of academic achievement. Right. And they don't have plans to return for their final year at Hogwarts. And this made me think, can we compare this to anything in the real world? And I thought a little bit about athletes who want to go pro early on. 
And is this a smart decision for Fred and George? Wouldn't Molly want them to finish up Hogwarts, get a degree, assuming you get a degree when you graduate? Mm -hmm. And I thought, what about Harry stipulating that part of him giving them the money is that they need to finish out their time at Hogwarts? Yeah. Well, I don't think Harry's the type of person who would make that type of stipulation. He just wants to see them thrive. And I think he sees that they are very talented people who potentially have a great future in this line of business. So why not give them the money when he doesn't need it? So no, I don't think Harry would need to make that stipulation. That said, it it would be it's very disappointing for Molly, I think, um, <laughs> that they're going off on this wicked life doing something else. <laughs> At least now. I'm sure she would be very proud of them later when they're successful as hell. Yeah. I mean, I think I'd compare it to getting your GED, like, or your high school diploma in the States mm-hmm. versus taking the SATs, which are used to get into college, right? Like, you don't, like, the SATs were optional, the way that newts seem to be optional um, yeah, versus just sort of passing. And it's so interesting because, like, I think it's the first time we hear that year seven is optional to pretty much everybody. We had long heard that. There were seven years of Hogwarts, so I guess I just never knew that year seven seems to be a lot of independent study for newts. But the reason it comes up in this chapter is because, of course, this year they're going to be sitting their owls at the end of it. So it's a nice sort of bookend or punctuation or looking forward as far as academics to have this kind of talk uh, on the first day back. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't describe year seven as optional, though. I think they are just going well, isn't it their own way i don't is it i don't well i mean by year seven you're of age so uh, yeah i suppose it can be mm-hmm. similar to the ged discussion i mean this varies depending on the state that you live in here in in the states but there is a certain age that you can opt to stop going to high school and take your ged mm-hmm. um and what i find so interesting about this conversation regarding Fred and George's education is it reminds me a lot of the state of education in this country. I don't know if it's similar in Australia, Andy, but um, they have really on a state and federal level eliminated a lot of the programs that would allow people to go into the kinds of trades that Fred and George are interested in. Um, Not just joke shops, but I mean, things like being small business owners or going to technical school to learn a trade or something like that. We sort of have this mill in this country now where we're trying to push everybody to go to college. And I feel like now, you know, at this point, and this is definitely a sidebar, we are seeing the repercussions of forcing everyone to go to college because not everyone needs to go. And I think it's actually pretty astute that Fred and George recognize that their career is not going to be defined by their time at Hogwarts. Hmm. So I'm proud of them. Absolutely. Yeah. And this idea, um, I think when the book was published back in 2003 is more radical than it is now, because even though to Laura's point, there is this push to you got to go to college. There's also a large trend in this country um, of pursuing your passion and pursuing side hustles and just Mm. doing what you believe. I mean, back in 2003, I think probably when we were all reading this for the first time, we were like, oh, wow, that is wild. There go Fred and George again with their crazy (laughs) ideas of leaving Hogwarts early. But now a new reader might be like, oh, cool. Like, 
some people in the real world here like go off and be uber drivers or deliver for grubhub or you know just find a passion through podcasting and pursue that instead of finishing school how millennial of them (laughs) yes yep Mm -hmm. (laughs) thanks for the plug micah no problem happy to oblige but the reason why i thought about going pro though is because a lot of time athletes you know that are at the college level will go pro early because of financial reasons right and the fact that they have the opportunity to earn quite a bit of money if they're of a certain caliber and, and are able to sustain at that professional level. And and we know the Weasleys are certainly a family that they don't seem to have a lot of money. And, and so that's just why that particular analogy came to me when I was reading through the chapter. Yeah. It's a big risk for them and for the family. Mm-hmm. On that point, my big thing here is with the money that they've been given, why is it not sort of known? And Harry has a a, a real opportunity to kind of come forward about this, but nobody betrays anybody. Fred and George don't betray that Harry gave them the startup money for the joke shop. And so while Ron and Hermione are condemning like, you know, their whole thing, they it's like an open question that gets asked and Harry does not he's still like finds a way to not tell them and he changes the subject why doesn't he just come clean because i think he'd he'd come off he ducks under the table though i mean not not only tries to change the subject yeah because his face gets so red and i I, to me i don't think he wants to embarrass ron and i and i think that that is exactly what would happen Mm. because we learned that didn't they buy ron a new set of robes over the summer Mm -hmm. with this money yeah which is surprising like this must have this is a lot of money they have to play around with if they can start buying their brother a new set of robes as well. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Well, they 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 saw his dress robes last year and they <laughs> said no good. My feeling is that Harry at all costs does not want Mrs. Weasley to find out. Mm. And by extension, as soon as one person finds out whether that's Ron or Hermione, that's going to filter back through to Molly and that's what Harry does not want to face at this point. Bingo. Right. So it'd be like a confrontation. Yeah, because then Harry would be blamed for Fred and George going rogue and launching this devil business of theirs. Oh, got it. Man, that makes sense. Now, Cho shows up a little bit later on. And uh, this was just, Ron goes, so I don't even know how to describe this. Somebody else want to take this. But. Yeah, like, I feel like, Joe's or Joe Rowling is starting to set up the relationship between Cho and Harry because that yeah. kind of comes to a head during this chapter. So that's why she shows up. Harry's really touched that Cho like made effort to come and see him or come and say hi. He of course blunders it right away by asking how her summer went. <laughs> like, <laughs> but he's happy to not be covered in stink sap at this point. So it's it's kind of like it's a, a little would be meet cute if it weren't for the fact that ron (sighs) ruins it but also the important moment here is harry reflecting on why cho came up to harry when she probably shouldn't want to see harry right now and he's detecting some feelings from cho and and that's exciting or at the very least that she doesn't blame him for cedric's death yes yeah She's on right. his side. She's not on the side of the Daily Prophet in the ministry. Yeah. Yeah. But I think this is one of those situations for Harry, too, where it's like, you know, when you have a crush on somebody, you're like, hmm, why did they make that move just now? What does it mean? And you start right. reading into it deeply. 
So you're saying there's a chance. There's a chance here. Everything is awful, but there's a chance with Joe. But Ron, I mentioned he blunders it. He he straight out accuses Cho of not being a real Quidditch fan. There's a meme on the internet going around like yesterday about not being a real Star Wars fan unless you've da 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 da. Yes. Yeah. Good this timing. Is, this is Ron and Cho, so timely. Um, mm-hmm. But this term, I doubt it existed, especially in this context in 2003, but it definitely exists now. Ron is a gatekeeper. He's the worst Star Wars fan. Mm. He's the guy going, I liked it before it was cooler. You're not a real <laughs> fan because yeah. this, this, and this. Now, it turns out Cho has liked her Quidditch team since she was six. So, but Ron like makes it Ron interrogates her basically. And Harry even like really is rubbed the wrong way by this. Mm -hmm. People love to brag about how long they've been a fan of you hear this a lot in the real world when it comes to music. Like, Oh, I was a fan of the band fun before they blew up with their (laughs) some nights album or, uh, you know, I'm sure some people probably did it with Harry Potter too. And it's just like, can you find other meaning in your life besides bragging about how long you've been a fan? And, and Ron is just being petty and, and silly here. Clearly I'm not a real Harry Potter fan though, because I started reading after the sixth book came out. Yeah. You're fake. I don't even know why we allow you on this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Why'd you let me on the show? (laughs) There's also a component of sexism with this kind of gatekeeping as well. Um, it's something I've experienced like as a woman, if I'm interested in a genre of something that tends to be male dominated, like mm-hmm. in this case with Cho sports, mm-hmm. having men come to me and be like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to quiz you about all the things about this just to see if you actually know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And that really... That really jumped out at me when rereading this chapter. I was like, oh, my God, Ron, you're being the worst right now. Just stop. Yep. And isn't this also a little bit of an inadvertent wand block on Ron's part? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. He's, he's not being a good wingman, that's for sure. Right. Uh, one other thing I wanted to touch on from this was the bandwagon comment, right? We've been talking about this, the fact that you just kind of jump on because the team is good. But I thought maybe J.K. Rowling was trying to tell us something more here because as we'll see, we saw in the you know kind of earlier parts of this chapter with Harry's friends not necessarily believing him, um, and we'll see it more throughout the course of this book where people jump on the Harry and Dumbledore bandwagon, especially once Rita Skeeter's article comes out versus maybe people jumping on that ministry bandwagon. Mm. I don't know. It just seems like the term bandwagon – is is like bandwagoners people who are on it are less informed or are not authentic being the the genuine true authentic version of themselves so i think at least with dumbledore's army when people switch bandwagons it, it's it's a lot based on uh, a lot having to do with being well informed and better informed by harry mm-hmm. and a lot of the people who join dumbledore's army later do it out of a a, a real desire to improve their situation because they understand how useless Umbridge's classes are. Yeah, for sure. And if you want to relate it back to Cho as well, you can look at Cho and Marietta, and that's kind of the ultimate picking of sides. And you can see the consequences that obviously come from that. Mm. Mm. So now let's uh, get to the worst day of classes for Harry. 
in quite some time at Hogwarts. Uh, he starts things out with a history of magic. And a uh, question here was, when was the last time, thinking back to when we were in school, when there was a day of classes or a set of classes that we just couldn't get through? Maybe we just told the teacher, hey, got to use the restroom and then disappeared for the rest of the day. I don't know. <laughs> Something along those lines, maybe fake being sick. Um, I definitely would from time to time miss a class, particularly in college. I mean, there were some classes, some courses that I just totally gave up on. I was like, F this. I don't need this anymore. Um, but actually, like in middle school, high school, I was a pretty good boy. I, I didn't avoid classes. I just soldiered through them and still did really, really bad. Like Spanish. Uh, I got a D in that class. Why? Boy, that was bad. Why? <laughs> Why? That's dreadful. Yeah. Yeah. D for dreadful. Uh, science. Science, too. I just could not. I was so I was just mentally checked out. I, w I was just pleased I didn't fail because that meant I would have to do it over again. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it was an A. <laughs> Gotta know the limits. Yeah, I, I've definitely, you know, I took a, had those days where you take the hall pass and you just kind of wander a little bit. Um, right. You just hang out in the bathroom for <laughs> I like mean, a half not hour. to like, there were people who, I guess, more intentionally ditched classes and like the teachers know who the, knew who those people were. But like, depending on the day, depending on how much sleep I got the night before, there were classes that I either slept through, like overtly head down on desk kind of a thing, and the teacher, you know, gave me a side eye later, or mm -hmm. um, ones where I just, you know, was tuning out or, or had to kind of get away or go for a walk or stretch to stay awake because it just happens. You're you're 15, you're 16, it, 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 your bodies are changing, your energy levels are really super important. And it just fluctuates. That's all it is. It just it just fluctuates. Yeah. I actually had a teacher in high school who recognized that, Eric. And he at the start of our semester, he was like, Hey, I understand you're gonna be antsy. You're sitting in a desk all day. So if you need to get up and stretch or you need to get up and like just walk around or go get water, just do it. Oh, that's nice. Amazing. Yeah. And it was it's it's a nice small touch that recognizes the fact that, yeah, you're teenagers, you're pent up with energy and we're forcing you to sit in a classroom for eight hours a day. Yeah. You know, and I, and teachers were always a little bit more lenient with first, second and third period classes like the stuff in the mornings um, as well for that same reason. Like we had to get up at, I don't know, 630 in the morning to catch the bus. Yeah. So. It was kind of nuts. Does it count if there was a big news story in the Harry Potter fandom and you wanted to get out of class to post it on a fan site? <laughs> <laughs> that ever happened to you? Because this happened many a time. How many times? Really? Did you <laughs> like, what book six is called Half-Blood Prince? Uh, can I use the bathroom? I gotta go. Here, here's a question I have relating to Professor Binns specifically. So Harry, I think, completely sleeps through this class. And uh, Hermione is the only one who's able to be at least fake being interested. But the topic of today's lecture is giant wars. And given how preoccupied Harry is, he won't stop saying mean things about Grubbly Plank, uh, about Hagrid's absence. What, shouldn't this really interest Harry? Because wouldn't this topic have extreme relevance? We, of course, know Hagrid is with the giants, treating with them because of their in the past uh, gray area alliances with dark wizards. This seems like it would be the most interesting class 
to sit in on ever. Mm. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It made me wish I could switch POVs to Hermione because I know that he probably said something that indicated some level of foreshadowing about mm-hmm. the events of later in the book with Hagrid and Grop. Mm. Um, and I know she was paying attention. So mm-hmm. I've always taken umbrage to uh, use that word with Harry's reaction to history of magic because I feel like as someone coming from the muggle world, I would be so interested in learning everything yeah. that yeah. I could possibly want to know about it. I Even agree. if it was dry and taught by a ghost that floats through the blackboard, I would still just want to soak it all up. And Harry could not give two hoots. Yeah. And I think Harry would be interested if it weren't for, as you say, just how boring Bins is being. And I think we've probably all been there too. Like we have a class that we might be interested in, but the teacher's delivery, it's just like, oh, terrible. Yeah. You, you, mm-hmm. It's like it's like a bad podcast too. Like, wow, I'm interested in Harry Potter, but these guys are boring. So I am out. <laughs> Andrew, tell us when the Chamber of Secrets opens. <laughs> <laughs> that that probably was his most interesting class. Okay. Okay. This is definitely second most interesting then. <laughs> <laughs> but I think at this point, Harry doesn't really have any clue where Hagrid is. So maybe if he had an idea, then he would be a bit more interested. He's also having a really bad day, like, and, yeah. and it's about to get a whole lot worse. <laughs> and I, I do think it's important to note that Harry really has no classes now that he enjoys, right? We just talked about history of magic. He's about to go to potions. Then he has divination. And then he ends with a class that has really been his bread and butter throughout the course of the series, Defense Against the Dark Arts, and it's now taught by Umbridge. And, right. you know, so think about that. Like, given his state of mind already, now he's being put into classes every single day, for the most part, with subjects and teachers that he could care less about and are boring the hell out of him. Yeah. And call him names in some cases, including Snape, right? He he's talking about the owls and straight up says that some of his students could be classified as being moronic. Uh, and wow. he asks Harry when he's working on the potion later on in the class and clearly sees that something's wrong with it, if he can read. And there's probably a nicer way to go about that than being such a dick, but that's who Snape is. It's right? so mean. And when you reread this book, you're just reminded, or the series, you're just reminded of how terrible a person Snape is. I'm sorry, but he's not a good guy. He's not. He's done some important things, but he is a terrible, terrible person. You cannot treat children this way. Agreed. This hurts them. Totally agree. And we had this email here from Emily, which actually might... Slightly disagree with what you said, Andrew. I know. Well, Andy, do you want to read it? Sure. So Emily says, hey, MuggleCast, regarding this week's chapter, I noticed Snape chose the draft of peace, a potion to calm anxiety and soothe agitation as the first potion to teach the students. I think this was intentional on Snape's part, as he knows many of the students are probably feeling anxious because of all the ongoings with the ministry, Harry, Cedric and talk of Lord Voldemort being back and the potion soothes agitation. It's exactly what Harry needs right now. It's the little details like this that prove to me that Snape is well-intentioned and is always trying to help his students and Harry, but unfortunately can't stop himself from being a dick in the process. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is an interesting observation, but I don't think Snape was thinking of it that way. 
Yeah. Does anyone agree with Emily? Uh, no, I don't want to get Snape credit. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, what I love about Snape is he is so many shades of gray. He's such a nuanced character mm-hmm. that I don't think, and this is kind of speaking of bandwagons, I don't think that I would feel comfortable jumping on the bandwagon of like, oh, Snape sucks or oh, Snape is actually a good guy. I think he absolutely falls in the middle and and kind of moves along that spectrum throughout the books. And I think this is just an example of him uh, picking a really difficult potion to start the year off with, as Harry notes in the book, and then using it as an excuse to, uh, you know, shame his students for not being better Mm. at the subject matter that said we also learned that he has really high expectations for his owl students um after the fifth year so maybe it's also evidence of him being a good teacher but ultimately you wouldn't just put instructions on a faraway blackboard that harry has to squint and see and expect the entire class to get it wouldn't it be easier with your hour and a half time to go step by step on potion making as a teacher of potions? I'm thinking of like yeah. kind of like a Julia Child's cooking show, but like or or any or any cooking show. You know, wow. first you first you glaze the turkey, then you set the oven. Right. Like it's step by step. Like well, if Snape was that concerned about Harry missing part B of step three, he should have like brought the whole class to this because. These students are supposed to be learning to make potions. They're not supposed to be getting made fun of mercilessly when they make accidents. This is about being a student. You're going to make accidents, okay? So I think kind of how you just framed it, though, is in complete contrast to the defense against the dark arts class and how that starts, right? So Snape has an expectation that he's been teaching them for four years, that they should be able to follow directions and put together a potion, Right. Versus Umbridge's class where she's like, no, you've just had a bunch of kooky teachers over the course of these last four years. We're going all the way back to basics. You don't need to know anything practical. Yeah. And so Snape, though, it's hard for me to jump on the bandwagon of him being a good guy because when you see moments like this, he's just treating his students like absolute crap. And he, I think he has like a, a a superiority complex in these moments where he's the teacher, they're the students, and clearly he knows more than they do. But mm-hmm. he does have, I think the one quality I would say that's good about him as a teacher is he does, as Laura said, like he does expect a certain level of quality from his students and a certain level of performance from them. And if you don't meet that, then he's going to call you a moron. Mm-hmm. He has a lot of knowledge. He, he, we know, especially from the next book as well, he knows potions inside and out. He knew exactly what step Harry got wrong. That's super impressive. I will never not be impressed by how well Snape knows potions, but his approach is all wrong. I'm sorry. It just is like, Oh, of course. Yeah. I, I am curious to know though. I mean, we see these books from Harry's point of view and clearly as Emily mentioned in her email, Snape, is a dick. Like there's no getting around that. He definitely is. But I wonder if Harry always has his perceptions of Snape turned up to a 10, Mm. you know, and how that could differ than maybe a third party, like outside perspective of the classroom. 
Yeah. So you think there's possibly some Snape confirmation bias going on? Maybe. Yeah. Um, you look at uh, Goyle's potion, or was it Crab's later? Like they say that like it was just so much worse than Harry's, but yet Snape goes over to Harry and makes kind of an example out of him and asks him, "Can you read?" Like, come on. Yeah. Like th- there's definitely there. I think there's an opportunity for some bias here, but I think on the whole. Harry's perception of things appears to be pretty accurate, especially that Snape completely disappears his potion and doesn't even let him turn it in for like a B or if Andrew's taking Spanish, a D grade. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to I'll play devil's advocate to that, though. And, and you see this a lot from, let's say, coaches, right? They ride a certain player really, really hard because they expect a certain level out of that player. And they know that that player is capable of achieving so much more. Maybe it's Snape saying, Harry, pay attention to the details, you know, concentrate, focus. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And we see him really pushing that later in this book, right? Occlumency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I also found it interesting that Snape removes the potion with an Evanesco because, as we learned from Pottermore in the past year or two, that spell was used by students to get to remove their poo because they were evidently poo on the floor <laughs> and then just spell it away. Or on themselves. And, sure, yeah. You, you guys, why is Pottermore no longer a site? The, the gold, <laughs> comedic gold lived there. Uh, but I just, you know, just uh, Snape surely knows this. So he must also get pleasure out of... Um, Harry's potion going to the same place as where everybody's poop is. <laughs> Not really sure how to transition off of that, but I'm going to try. There's no way. There is no way. Um, all right. So now it's time for Wands Away books out. Probably the, no, definitely the worst professor to ever teach at Hogwarts. <laughs> and uh, this was definitely, I know we talked a little bit earlier about how like this was the meat of the chapter, but there was just so much that went on within these pages and, and there's so much subtext to talk about. But I wanted to start by, you know, Umbridge says that the teaching in this subject matter has been rather disrupted and fragmented to the class. And I don't think she's wrong. No. Uh, you know, she starts out by making a statement that's actually pretty true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. And I don't think that it's unreasonable that given that we've had at this school for the past four years, very fragmented Defense Against the Dark Arts teaching, that the ministry might want to step in and provide some oversight, but they've just way overstepped here because they're not actually concerned with these kids' education. They're concerned with making sure that these kids stay compliant and don't try to rise up against the ministry. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think, and I'm just thinking of this situation from a parent's perspective, it's probably nice to see a ministry official teaching their students after there was an imposter as the teacher the previous year. It, I think they want assurances that this position is going to be locked down, that they're going to have a steady hand in this position. And from the outside, it looks like, okay, Umbridge and ministry official, um, close to fudge, Sounds good to me. Yep. Do you think Dumbledore perhaps has a responsibility to the parents to let them in on the fact that there's possibly a hunch that this thing might be jinxed and has been for some time? <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. People have to be questioning it. But this is something he conveniently lets slide because maybe it's a little embarrassing. Maybe he doesn't truly believe in the curse. Maybe he thinks it's going to be cracked really soon once this second Voldemort situation is taken care of. Yeah. I mean, as of this point, you have like half of the wizarding world refusing to acknowledge that Voldemort's back. Mm -hmm. So I'm not even sure they're well primed to be able to accept something like the defense against the dark arts position being cursed yeah especially since it was cursed by voldemort Mm. yeah she goes on to say that the constant changing of teachers many of whom do not seem to have followed any ministry approved curriculum has unfortunately resulted in your being far below the standard we would expect to see in your owl year is there ministry approved curriculum is all of the curriculum at hogwarts approved by the ministry i feel like it's a good question clearly there are sub certain subjects where you need to be at a certain like transfiguration for instance which is taught at least the first five years that you know you need to be able to be doing more complex transfiguration each year so i feel like that's what it is but the actual teaching of lessons is obviously up to mcgonagall like where she wants to start i I feel like Yes, the teachers sort of set their own curriculum in a huge way, but the ministry surely would provide guidelines. Yeah. So perhaps we can't give Snape any credit for assigning that potion. Perhaps that's the OWL year. This is what you do first up. Mm-hmm. Love it or not. Yeah. yeah. To that point, though, I, I could understand going back to basics and, and just kind of doing some introductory lessons to start the year off. But I think taking that approach for the entire year for fifth year students just doesn't seem right. Yeah, that's a good point. One thing that we learn in this chapter is that Umbridge has an unusually short wand. And one of the things that Joe wrote about, um, one of the better essays she wrote about rather than the uh, the poo room stuff, um, <laughs> is that people that have, <laughs> people that have unusually short wands uh, or those types of wands, we usually select witches or wizards whose character has something lacking. Huh. Which is quite an interesting thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is. Yeah, especially considering, have we ever heard of anybody else in the series who's noted as having an unusually short wand? Hmm. I'm doing I feel some like googling. She's the only one, not wand, but yeah. fingers. Um, both Umbridge and Peter Pettigrew have short fingers, and both of those characters, um, their lack of magical talent is compensated by basically dirty deeds. So what Umbridge did with Inventors, what Pettigrew did betraying the Potters to Voldemort. Um, People with a lack of magical talent who are witches and wizards are evil, I guess. I'm looking at a list and it looks like Umbridge has the shortest in terms of like major characters. Um, The second shortest was Sir Cadigan at nine inches. He was also in this chapter. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very brief, but he made an appearance. It's the chapter of short ones. (laughs) Umbridge put up the course aims on the blackboard, and whoever put this font in here did a very good job of- Oh, thank you. Showing what it probably looked like. Good job, Andrew. I I did something that I never do. It's a new year, new me, that type of thing. I'm actually reading the physical Harry Potter book for this chapter, and I'd forgotten all the fonts that they use. For moments like this mm-hmm. and now i'm going to stick with this physical copy because it's just way more fun than the ebook the ebook doesn't contain the fonts no does it contain the chapter art 
Uh, yes. And by the way, I feel like I would like a short wand. Wouldn't it just be easier to carry in your pocket? <laughs> it just seems more efficient. No, more you're portable. right. The 13 and 14 inch wands yeah. that we see, like if you look at the movies, a lot of the like teachers and things have like these ridiculous, like especially McGonagall, ridiculously long wands. It's yeah. like, where does she store that? No, thank you. Ron's is 14 inches. Wand number two, at least, is. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, thank you. It's it means he, loves, ha, he has a lot of character. <laughs> well, actually, he didn't like it because wand number three, nine and one quarter. Huh. That was Peter Pettigrew's wand. There you go. A lot of character. Also, a lot of pain <laughs> carrying that thing around. But anyway. These course aims are not all that exciting. Just to run through them really quickly. Understanding the principles underlying defensive magic, learning to recognize situations in which defensive magic can legally be used, and placing the use of defensive magic in a context for practical use. And how to get a shorter wand. They're better, (laughs) y'all. The only part of this that interests me is the legally aspect. There seems to have been, uh, we obviously touched on this last year by being taught the unforgivable curses, Mm -hmm. but- Understanding where magic fits in with society and with the laws and rules of society is a useful, like, tactic or thing to know. You don't need to spend all year on it, but again, figuring out, you know, when to use a spell is sort of important, but. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like when you get attacked by Dementors. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But Hermione notices that there's a big thing missing here. Yeah, she she speaks up and Harry actually notes that it's the first time really that he's never seen her open up a book in class and and you know be reading and doing what she's supposed to be doing. She keeps her hand up for quite a long period of time till the point where the entire class notices what's going on. And uh she challenges Umbridge a bit to which Umbridge responds, "Are you a ministry trained trained educational expert?" Mm. Is this as bad as can you read? Yeah, I, I think it is actually. Mm. I don't think it's as bad because Harry absolutely can read, whereas Hermione is definitely not a ministry trained educational expert. Right, but Umbridge knows that. But so it's she's rude. Just, she, yeah, it's, it's rude. It's very. It's a good character moment for Umbridge because rather than explain kind of what the thinking is or, or or kind of stress that there's all this care has been put into it. She is going toe to toe with a 15 year old. Yeah. And I don't actually even believe that the ministry has these trained educational experts. Right. Because. Well, I think they have people that they call trained educational experts. <laughs> mm hmm. Whether there's any actual qualification there is, you know, up for debate. But do we believe (laughs) the ministry actually sat down and was like, okay, what do we actually need to do here for the Defense Against the Dark Arts class at Hogwarts? No, No, No. yeah. This was probably just Umbridge coming up with this plan to clap back at Harry and Dumbledore uh, during the trial. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's the ministry's sinister agenda to disarm an entire year, or actually all seven years of of students during this year is very apparent. Mm -hmm. And it's just weird because Umbridge wants to come across as everybody's friend. I think she even said either in this chapter or in the opening speech, I am your friend. But she even says, I do not wish to criticize the way things have been run in this school. Um, She absolutely does, by the way. Like she, she even says extremely dangerous half breeds when talking about the previous teachers. Like it, she's just 
She's but a is fake, she wrong? She's a fake I, person. That's the problem that I have. She's a fake. Yeah, of course she's fake. But is she wrong in saying that they've been exposed to extremely dangerous half breeds? No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, their classes all take place, or at least Defense Against the Dark Arts takes place in broad daylight. And during the time of month, during Lupin's time of the month, um, he is sequestered to the Shrieking Shack or his office, right? And also Snape brews him that potion every month. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of context that she's missing here. And it's always really interesting to think about these real world comparisons, because I think even on this show, we've talked about the comparisons between werewolves and other um, sort of disenfranchised groups of people, like people with HIV AIDS. There was a time not so long ago where if you had HIV, you were discriminated against in certain job sectors, in particular teaching. And it was the same thing if you were gay. There were a lot of anti-gay uh, groups out there questioning whether or not a gay person was equipped to teach children safely. And I feel like this this is very much more akin to that than it is her being concerned for the safety of the children. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, she's a, a purely vindictive individual and and we'll learn a little bit more about her later from information that was on Potter no more. <laughs> but uh, you know, she also references the fact that her predecessor performed illegal curses in front of the students, but also on the students. And I think she has more context there than she does into Lupin because mm -hmm. I would assume she knows the history of what happened with Barty Crouch Jr. and Mad-Eye Moody just given that she works directly for Fudge. But Parvati raises a really great point about the practical nature of their owls. And this goes into how they're being educated. So are they just expected to show up at the end of this year and perform a spell without having practiced it in any yeah. way? Like what? What's the comparison here to, let's say, the real world? Yeah, I don't know about a real-world comparison, but this is the first major crack in Umbridge's defense. And it's just, you just feel your heart sink for these students. I mean, I'm sure they're feeling that same way because knowing that they aren't going to be able to practice spells in what used to be one of their more fun mm. classes, um, and then seemingly being set up for failure later in the year is heartbreaking, especially for those who do believe that Voldemort is back because you're seeing a ministry-approved class suddenly block you from preparing for what lies ahead. They're actually setting you back. Yeah, it's a huge crack in Umbridge's thing, the fact that the owls will have a practical component. And Umbridge has to tell the whole class that she feels a theoretical knowledge is sufficient. And it's just clearly not the way the wind is blowing. It'd be like if you're learning CPR, but did you guys have to do like a first aid CPR class on the dummy? Yeah, I didn't. I so no one be yes. alone with me because <laughs> you're going to be in trouble. Oh, we, we did. We did this in high school in health class. They brought in a dummy because when you're when you're performing CPR, you obviously need to know where the heart is and it's not where you think it is. I mean, it's not far off, but there's a very specific 
you have to find like the sternum. There's a very specific soft spot on a human body. And if you're performing CPR and the fact of the matter is, if you did this without a dummy and if you just like read where like it's like the Heimlich maneuver, like you really need to know where on the body this is. And if there's no practical experience, people are going to die. So I thought that was a good comparison. Yeah. Yeah. I also thought it, you know, comparing it in the wizarding world to potions, right? If you're showing up to make potions and, you know, you've only read about how to make it, but you've never actually sat down to try and make the potion, but then you're being tested on how to make it. Yeah. It it would just be probably needing some Evanesco at the end. So (laughs) we need like a HelloFresh for potions. (laughs) (laughs) Step-by-step guide. That's why I thought it, it was just it seems like Umber just setting her students up for failure here. And and I think it would be a really bad reflection on her as a teacher if they're all showing up to their owls at the end of this year and there's a practical portion of this examination and, and none of them know how to cast a Patronus charm or something to that effect. Yeah, that's a really great point. And it makes you wonder why Umbridge is okay with that. Maybe she only intended on being here one year. Like she... It doesn't matter how the students do when they're owls because she's going to be out of there anyway and she won't have to um, face the music when they do badly. And maybe Dumbledore, the ministry is like, hey, why did they do so bad? Like, weren't you supposed to fix things, make things better? Was the imposter better than you? Was the wolf better than you, the werewolf? Though I think in the end, she just, she doesn't care about parent-teacher interviews. She wants to subjugate the students, accelerate her position in the ministry, and act as Fudge's mouthpiece. Mm. Pretty succinctly put. Yeah. I guess it still doesn't look good on her, though, if these students are coming out of this course worse off than they previously were. True. And it's also mentioned in her Potter No More write-up that uh, she was often passed over for positions of responsibility at Hogwarts. So she really, and I'm assuming that's like prefect, head girl, things like that, so she's probably looking at this as an opportunity to really like dig in and, and give it to Dumbledore and, and others at Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's definitely got a personal vendetta as well. So interesting. I like that you just keep saying Potter no more casually. <laughs> that should be a new rule on this show. We all just say Potter no more, not that other word. I'm fine with that. <laughs> cool. Deal. So Umbridge tells the students after kind of this back and forth. If you're still worried, by all means, come and see me outside class hours. If someone is alarming you with fibs about reborn dark wizards, I would like to hear about it. I am here to help. I am your friend. There it so is. So this is to your point, Eric, earlier about her just wanting to be all buddy-buddy with the students. Really what she wants is control. She wants knowledge. She wants to keep tabs on what's going on. She wants to hear about any rumors that may be being spread by students, particularly Harry. Mm-hmm. And uh, Harry gets into it with her, which I think we were all kind of expecting. And in fairness to Harry, look, he's had a really bad day. (laughs) I know I said that earlier, but just think about the day that he's gone through since like five minutes after waking up, up until this point. And uh, I think though he started to talk about something that a lot of the other students were very interested in hearing about, and that's what happened to Cedric. I'm surprised, I guess, that it catches Umbridge so off guard. I, I, I mean, clearly she doesn't have any experience with students and how children can be stubborn because Harry's a, like a masterclass in that. Like she does not have a prepared line 
even having come from the ministry, a prepared line about Cedric Diggory's death. Like she's able to stumble and say, oh, it was a tragic accident. But there's really no alternative fact here about what happened to him. And it's a wonderful foothold for Harry's argument and for the rest of the class to kind of rally around Harry on. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a great moment. It feels good to see Harry do this, even though he is getting himself in major trouble. But it does also make me wonder what the official ministry line is, other than it being a freak accident. Like, what what specifics can you give, if any? There aren't any, but like, are they making them up? It seems easy you could blame the Triwizard Tournament. The fact that the Triwizard Tournament hasn't been happening for like a thousand years or something crazy at the beginning of book four is because people kept dying. Yeah. So you could easily blame the maze or the Sphinx like, oh, yeah, uh, the Sphinx stumped Cedric Diggory to death, like with its riddle. Yeah. Or, oh yeah, he was eaten by some shrubbery or oh yeah, he was Evanescoed accidentally when Filch was cleaning up the maze. Like <laughs> give some specific details. They deserve that because one of their fellow students died and one way to cope with this is to know the truth so they can begin to move on. Cuz then all these students are probably wondering like, well, what did happen and can that happen to me here at Hogwarts? Yeah. This place that is a security nightmare starting to sound like a security nightmare security nightmare (laughs) that is the new clip (laughs) created by our listener linden thank you linden for that little sound effect thing yeah that's a i like that yeah and, and it's surprising because this is the moment that gets him in trouble versus when he says voldemort's name which only got 10 points from gryffindor so i mean i'm just surprised like I I, th- I would think Voldemort's name would carry a little bit more cachet than ten points, but yeah, all good. <laughs> She's testing well, Eddie, the Eddie, Every time he says it, the the points should be doubled. So the first time ten, and then it's said a second time, right? So that time should have been twenty. So Harry ends up getting detention, which kind of in the back of my mind, I think was Umbridge's intent all along, and mm-hmm. she sends him with a note to go see <laughs> Professor McGonagall, and. Upon reading the note, I thought we get what is possibly the best line in the Harry Potter series when <laughs> Professor McGonagall says to Harry, have a biscuit, Potter. <laughs> and it's just with everything that's gone on in this chapter, all of the mental aggravation that Harry has been put through, it just kind of puts a little bit of levity on the chapter. She's just like, sit down, relax, have a cookie. You know, <laughs> yeah, and it's good to know that somebody is on Harry's side. A teacher in the school is on Harry's side because after how badly his day has went, you don't expect it to get any better, right? But she's able to. I think. I think she's able to break through to him a little bit by stressing how careful Harry has to be. Like, yeah, Harry knows that she's like on his side. But she's also trying to impress upon him the seriousness of his act, like of his being so bold. And she says words to that effect. She just really, she's like, I need you to be way smarter than you are, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pick your battles very carefully. Yep. Mm-hmm. I just love that the biscuit is called a ginger newt as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The second time newt is brought up in this chapter, I think 
between those two references to so the newts and then the ginger newt and then jk rowling naming a character newt she really loves the word newt <laughs> I, I presume that's a play on ginger nut is that a biscuit that you have in the states or a cookie the ginger nut no that might be an, an, an aussie brit we have thing. Gi- we have ginger snaps yes i wonder if they're the same thing so ginger nut is a biscuit that you might dip in your foreign tea as it were <laughs> yeah. I see. yeah, you, you could do that with ginger. I, I bet they're the same thing, or they at look least the same. Similar. What, yeah, I'm googling. What was your reaction while listening when we were talking about foreign tea? <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I, I, I knew straight away, and I thought, boy, there's going to be some emails coming in. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for not adding to the pile. These yeah. dumb Americans. No, I figure you had it covered. <laughs> we like learning. It's. Not as bad as um, reading this chapter and for the first time, like from an American perspective, be like, why does McGonagall have biscuits in her office? <laughs> what, did she, was she just at KFC? Was she just at, was she just at Bojangles? Was she just at Popeye's? Yeah, that was what I was thinking. Oh, my God. Yeah. Embarrassingly, like even reading this today, I'm not thinking about cookies. I'm thinking about like KFC biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> Southern style. So what is a biscuit in the States? Is that? What we would call a scone or a scone? No, it's, no, it's like it's, a little piece of bread. It's salty. But it's like it's like salty and kind of flaky. Mm. You eat. It's like savory. You put butter on it. Look, it sounds tasty. If Professor M offered me one, I'd be into it. Oh heck yeah! We were also talking to Andy about White Claw before the show. So Andy, come over here. We're gonna have some White Claw and American <laughs> and culture. Biscuits. You, we'll culture you, Andy. <laughs> this sounds wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, so so the chapter really wraps with with McGonagall giving Harry some important advice to be mindful of his actions, as we just spoke about. Because it's not just like he's acting out in front of Snape; he's acting out in front of a professor who has a direct line to the Minister of Magic, and yeah. that is a major major problem. And uh, she does shout out Hermione for you know being astute and paying attention, which she does all the time anyway. But Hermione is really important, I think, in this chapter, and and she shines through at a number of moments. But before we kind of close out the chapter, wanted to talk a little bit about Umbridge. There is uh, quite a write-up, and thanks to Andy for catching this, on her and her family over on Potter No More, also known as wizardingworld.com, just so people can reference it if they want to. And uh, it really dives deep into who she is as a person, as well as her family. And it gives a lot of insight into why she is the way she is. And uh, I encourage listeners to go check it out. We'll probably bring up a number of these points, though, throughout the course of our discussion of Order of the Phoenix. Guys, you know what I just realized? PotterNoMore.com is available. And I am so buying it right now. Do it. <laughs> that is a blatant oversight on I'm everyone. buying it. Nobody beat me to it. it Andy, can you live. get the uh, .au version? Yeah, let's get all the countries. <laughs> Who's getting .biz? <laughs> I'm going to buy this. I'm just going to, if I can redirect it for free, I'm just going to redirect it to Harry Potter fans <laughs> for, for a little while. <laughs> oh, God, the server's going again. <laughs> it's been 15 years. <laughs> Uh, this is great. I actually would have assumed that Pottermore would have bought PotterNoMore.com. I don't know why. Are you but... just getting me a lawsuit, Andrew? <laughs> <laughs> we want that domain back. You know what? No. They bought, they stole HarryPottersHouse.com from me. So I'm taking this and I'll go to court over this one. If they want this, they can give me back HarryPottersHouse.com. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, time for the Umbridge suck count. 
we can add a bunch of moments to the tally here. Um, calling herself the class's friend. That's definitely one. That, that was uh, sickening. Denying Voldemort's return, saying nothing is out there. And then also, sidebar, just insulting Cedric's memory by saying that Voldemort did not kill him. I mean, that's, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. If Cedric's, Cedric's looking down, I, w- I would be really mad that this is how um, the ministry is handling this. So that's three. Uh, saying that they are all safe from any dark wizard. That is not true at all and very dangerous to say. And then going excessive with the detentions for Harry. As we see in the scene with McGonagall, um, Harry gets detention every night that week. And she she does something really terrible to him in the next chapter that lives with him for the rest of his life. In The Cursed Child, you still see the scars on Harry's hands, which I was shocked by that they would, you know, okay, so maybe that's true and maybe, uh, you know, J.K. Rowling intended the scars to be permanent. But then for The Cursed Child, they actually paint them on Harry Potter actors' hands every night. Like, wow, talk <laughs> about detail. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So that's five. So one, two, three, four five added to the tally today and now we're up to 16 unless anybody else had any others that's good i think you covered it okay and by i i mean i i think micah wrote these i just wanted to give him a break. <laughs> it was me oh okay eric i just wanted to give eric a break <laughs> <laughs> thank you all right and we do have some threads to connect today between order of the phoenix and prisoner of azkaban the f- the largest and i think the most obvious theme that we can connect here is Defense Against the Dark Arts, and really how their first Defense Against the Dark Arts lesson of the year in Prisoner of Azkaban and Order of the Phoenix could not be more opposite. Um, We had Lupin teaching very practically in terms of introducing students to the concept of a bog art, and then teaching them how to defend themselves against that. Whereas Umbridge is pushing theory with no clear base in the theory herself. Um, She's literally telling the kids, okay, open your books and read, and I'm just going to sit here at my desk and stare at you while you do. Hmm. Um, So clearly she has no background (laughs) in it herself because she's not even helping to guide the theoretical education here. So these, these lessons could not be more opposite. The other threads that I found are smaller threads, but I think that they're they're entertaining to consider. So there's a couple of things with Harry and Cho. Um, in Prisoner of Azkaban chapter 14, which is, you know, around the same pace in, in book three as it is here in book five, Harry first notices that Cho's pretty. And he's he's playing Quidditch against her in this chapter. But even so, she's still kind to him and even points out that there are dementors on the pitch. Um, similarly, she doesn't hold Ron's tactlessness against Harry in Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 12. So even though in Book 3 they're Quidditch rivals, she's still helpful to Harry. And even though here in Order of the Phoenix, when she could very well have decided, I think Harry knows more about Cedric's death than he's letting on. I think he might have been responsible. Instead of jumping on that bandwagon, she is clearly being on Harry's side, even though... 
Ron is being a wand block. Yeah. <laughs> then we <laughs> we also have some points with McGonagall and Hermione. Um, so in Prisoner of Azkaban Chapter 11, McGonagall confiscates Harry's new firebolt after Hermione reports it. And Ron, or Harry and Ron are very, very upset with her for this. In Order of the Phoenix Chapter 12, after Harry sort of regurgitates Hermione's interpretation of the Sorting Hat's new song, McGonagall remarks that she's at least glad Harry listens to Hermione. And I think this shows progress for Harry in terms of really seeing how important and how correct Hermione is a lot of the time. And he's getting praise for it from McGonagall. And then finally, I noticed some differences in terms of Hermione's class load and her interpretation of it. So Fred and George tease Hermione that the fifth year will be her worst course load yet. Um, And they tell her that she'll be begging for some of that nosebleed nougat once she starts getting into her courses, which made me think maybe they weren't paying attention to her third year Mm. (laughs) um, when she was literally taking every single class she possibly could and had to use a time turner to make all of her lessons. Um, To illustrate that, if we look at Prisoner of Azkaban Chapter 13, Hermione is overwhelmed to the point of, you know, breaking down into tears and having to flee the common room because she has 400 pages she has to read by Monday. So I think that this also is representative of Hermione's development and realizing that being a good student and being intelligent and witty does not mean that she has to take every single class and completely overload her plate Mm. so that's those are our threats awesome good work thank you so much and while you were talking i became the proud owner of potternomore.com and it is already (laughs) redirecting to harry potter fans thank you godaddy you're so quick (laughs) wait till i get pottermore.net i'll send it to mugglecast (laughs) there you go and uh it's registered to the mugglecast p.o box so eric stand by for some letters (laughs) Some cease and desist. <laughs> some C&Ds. From Warner yeah, Brothers. Some, some good old C&Ds. <laughs> Great. Thanks, buddy. It's time now for the MVP of the week. My MVP were the Biscuits. Thank you, Biscuits, for a much-needed reprieve in this chapter. And now I know that you're actually cookies and not delicious, warm, salted bread. <laughs> Why do you put on a southern accent when you talk about Biscuits? I'm thinking KFC. <laughs> Kentucky Fried Chicken. Like Southern Hagrid. Well, I'm going to give it to the biscuit maker, Professor McGonagall. She provided some much needed uh, and much needed breath of fresh air at the end of this chapter. And it was nice to see the relationship between her and Harry that wasn't necessarily teacher to student. I'm going to give mine to the biscuit eater, Harry, for finally taking his anger out on someone who deserves it. Speaking of deserving it, I'm going to give mine to the people who deserve biscuits, Fred and George, for not selling Harry out, not not giving away his secret. And I'm going to give it to somebody who has nothing to do with biscuits, but is always (laughs) three steps ahead of the game, always there to question authority, and has the time to do her prefect duty correctly, and that is Hermione Granger. Nice. Love it. And now let's rename the chapter, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 12, Totally Owned. Totally T-O-A-D. Nice. Went with Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 12. What a day. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 12. Fight the power. (laughs) 
Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 12, The Lie. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 12, Umbridge Sins, Biscuit Wins. <laughs> Love <laughs> that's, it. That's the best one. Although, Andrew's yours was good, too. Pat really liked mine. None of you did, though. Thanks a lot. It was great. <laughs> I liked it. It was totally awesome. Oh, yeah. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> you just heard me say it. It was like, that's great from across the room. <laughs> if you have any feedback about today's discussion or if you have a question about Chapter 13, email us, MuggleCast at gmail.com. Or you can go to MuggleCast.com and use the contact form there. You can also call us, 19203Muggle, or send us a voice memo. Just uh, record it using the voice memo app on your phone and then send it to MuggleCast at gmail.com. Okay, it's time now for Quizzage. Yes, last week's question, what characters from the original Harry Potter series have also been in both Cursed Child and the Fantastic Beast series? There are two of them. Do you guys have any guesses? Well, I would guess Dumbledore would be one of them. Dumbledore is one of them. Hmm. A Niffler. <laughs> another teacher, perhaps? <laughs> it's McGonagall. Yes, Dumbledore oh, and McGonagall are both in. Yeah, because McGonagall's in Crimes of Grindelwald. Let's not forget. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> correct answers were submitted to us on Twitter by Reese Withouterspoon. Kate Yang, Adriana Contreras, Miles Brown, Young Susie Blood, Jason King, Mary Lepaki, and Marissa Cameron. And Andy. So, congrats. Of Harry Potter fans. And Andy. What? Yes. Andy? <laughs> Andy from Harry Potter fan zone. It's Harry all going from- full circle. I've got a time turner. I'm like, Amadi, I'm going back to answer the questions to come on to give the questions. <laughs> we should have him on the show sometime. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like a cool guy. We People need to think uh, if you get Quizzage right now, that gets you to uh, co-host the show. <laughs> okay, and then the next uh, next week's Quizzage question is: What has Hermione been preparing over her summer holidays? Okay, there's a very specific thing she's been doing. Okay, and uh, submit your answers to us over on Twitter hashtag Quizzage at MuggleCast. All right, Andy, thank you so much for coming on today. It was great having you on. Thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Awesome. Yeah, we'll have to have you on again sometime. And you can find Andy at HarryPotterFanZone.com, the award-winning Harry Potter website. Also, or PotterNoMore.com. Yeah, or go there if you want to <laughs> access it. Uh, you also just launched a new design, which looks great. And like I said to you before recording it, I love that it respects the original design that you had all this year. So... Good well, thank stuff. you. It's been a passion project for a few months now, so I'm, I'm really glad that it's up. Yeah, yeah, it turned out great. And if you scroll down to the very bottom, you can see the badge from J.K. Rowling, the fan oh, site award. Oh, yeah. We would love if you joined our community today, patreon.com slash MuggleCast. We have some new benefits that will be announced in the weeks ahead. We are very excited about them. And it is also our 15th year podcasting, believe it or not. And we're going to try to do a special gift for our listeners um, since it is such a big anniversary. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, username MuggleCast. I definitely recommend following us on Instagram. We've been doing some fun stuff over there, including with our story. I saw a really sad situation with the Harry Potter books last night at a party I was at. So I uh, uh, Instagrammed my frustration through the MuggleCast account. So we would appreciate if you follow us there and you will stay up to date on Harry Potter news and what's going on with the show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. Uh, Micah. I'm Maura. And I'm Andy. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. See ya. Bye.
At American University, we don't just hope for change, we create it. We don't just dream of a better world, we make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout DC to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash gradschool.